I was reminded this morning that I'm old. So I'm so glad to hear that. Now I, can, I got my life straightened out. Last week I was young, this week I'm old. So now that we got it straightened out, I'm in good shape. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. If you got your Bibles with you, I'm sure you do. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Through various sources, Paul had received reports of problems in the Corinthian church, including jealousy, divisiveness, sexual immorality, and failure to discipline members. Churches today must also address the problems they face. And we can learn a great deal by observing how Paul handled sensitive situations in the church. And I think there's a lot for us to learn. So if you've gotten to 1 Corinthians, I want you to go with me to uh, chapter 20, verse 26. 126. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. And this is what Paul records. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Let me back up. Because I think I skipped like three, three lines right there. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty men, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye chosen in Jesus Christ, who God made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according to that what is written, he that glorieth, let him glorieth in the Lord. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you made a choice. God, it was your choice. And Lord, I pray this morning that your words, Father, would sink deep within our hearts. Lord, that we would learn to live according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you follow 1 Corinthians, you'll see different aspects that take place. We see in 1 Corinthians that Paul has many things, uh, like in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31, where Paul tells us how Christ brings us life from God. And also in 1 Corinthians 10-17, through Paul appeals for harmony, as there was much division in the church. Really, the first chapter of, of Corinthians deals with problems in the church. It deals with divorce and remarriage, confused services, courts, communion, collections, moral problems. What, what are we to do? But you know what amazes me? Like the church at Corinth was in a pickle, as some would say. 
The truth be known, most churches are still operating the same way today. With the same issues, the same problems. It's like, it's like we've come full circle. They say that divorce in the church is the highest it's been since the foundation of the church. There are more Christians getting divorced than unchristian people getting divorced. Isn't that crazy? Whatever happened till death do ye part? Virginia and I will be married 35 years next year. Or next year, next, next Sunday. <laughs> next year, next Sunday. What's, a, what's 365 days amongst friends? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> 365, that's a long time, 365 days. But 35 years. And so... I was talking with Tom this morning as we were driving to church. And uh, he said, well, you think you can come back next Sunday and pick me up? And I said, no, I'll be in big trouble if I do something like that. He said, oh, so you want to make 35 years? I said, of course I do. (laughs) But, you know, when we really stop to think about it, church, The cross is the cure for our problems. How much truth is there in that statement? That if there were no cross, there would be no cure for our sins. There would no, there would, there would, we would just remain lost, walking aimlessly through a world of deception and and mishap. But God makes a choice. He sends his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. Some of the most surprising and interesting verses in scripture. It just, it just blows my mind when I think that, that God sent his only begotten son to take care of the mess that I made in my own life. Jesus didn't make the mess. I made the mess. And, and yet he sent his son that, that he that he would take care of that. You see, a lot of people have confidence in worldly wisdom and talents. They think it's going to take them to great heights. But my question to you this morning is this. Are you God's choice? Are you God's choice? See, God had... We see here in verse 27 that God had chosen the foolish to confound the wise. He references the verse 18, the foolishness of the cross. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now, I just think when I am able to have the opportunity to introduce the cross to someone, to introduce Jesus Christ and what he did for them, and and they're like, You really believe that stuff? That's foolishness to talk that way. Because that just, I mean, there's only one spot for you. You know, and and I hate, I don't even even hate to say the word. Because the H-E double hockey stick is a real place. And it's, and, and people fail to, Realize that they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about hell. But you know what? They don't want to think about heaven either. Because see, if they have to think about heaven, then they know that they're... I love it when people say, 
you know, the man upstairs. The man upstairs, who's that? The man upstairs, my father, you know, my father? Yeah. You know, the big guy. Well, who is the big guy? Finally, if, when you corner them long enough, they'll, you get them down the road, far, they'll say, God. You know, God. So you realize God's seeing what you're doing. Well, yeah, but I don't want to think about it. That's kind of like your children doing something bad right before your eyes. You don't want to see them doing it, do you? You don't want to think that your kids would do something bad. So you would rather brush up. No, my child would, my little Johnny would never do such a thing. My little Sally would never do such a thing. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, wait till I get them home. Right? Come on. You don't, you don't, want, you don't want to portray that before people that your children have done something bad, but when you get them home, you know they have, because in the back of your mind, you know how they are. And so you got to correct them. To spare the rod is to spoil the child. The world has lost concept of that today. You got DCF and ACF and all these other non-Christian groups out there saying, don't touch your children. You don't want to do that. You could go to jail. That's cruelty. Child abuse. Virginia, if it's that way today, we'd, we'd be under the jailhouse, wouldn't we? You see, children have to be corrected. God loves us so much, guess what? He corrects us. He chastens us, adults. When we do something wrong, he, he, he lets us know about it. So why would we not train up our children in the ways that God would have us to train them up? We're supposed to do that. You know, I used to think that when my little girl would grow up and get married and she would have children, I said, she better never spank them, not around me, because I'll have to spank her, and she's an adult. Then I got thinking how wrong that would be. You know? Why? Because God didn't give the new child to me. God gave the new child to them to raise. Not for me to raise. God put me in her life to help her and her mother to help her to raise the child in the way that God would have her to raise the child. Grandparents love their grandchildren. They do, right? Come on, Tell me one grandparent that doesn't love their grandchildren. And when the parents get on to the grandchildren, the, par the grandparents, they don't like that. They're like, now you're being too hard. How about if God came down and said, I'm going to have to be hard on you because you weren't hard on them. <whistles> Ouch. You see, you see here, God is saying that he chose the foolish to confound the wise, heaping themselves to teachers who have itching ears. The more distinguished a preacher seems to be, the less preaching he seems to do. He doesn't want to talk to you about hell or sin or the blood of Jesus Christ or the cross because that's going to remind you that you're a sinner. And we don't want to point out people that they're... We want them to come to church and be happy. 
and get out their pocketbooks. That's not what it's about, church. You see, church is about Jesus Christ. It's about the Word of God. It's about doing what God has chosen us to do. It's not about fluffing stuff. It's not about coming and just getting your ear itched a little. It's coming and about hearing the truth of God's Word, not just a little snippet, but the whole truth. When I read the Word of God from cover to cover, I know that Jesus, everything He says, He has meant. And everything he meant, he said. And I have to take the whole word into, into, into being, not just part of it. Not just what I like. I have to take the good with the bad. When you got married, it was for better or for worse. Oh, so I see some eyebrows just went raised up. Phil, I don't know about that. For better or for worse. For richer or for poorer. For sickness and in health. You see, it's the whole thing. Now, I realize that we live in a world today where people feel like, well, you know, I have Jesus and Jesus is my Savior and He forgives. You know, I, I don't know why I'm going down this road. I have no idea. But I, it's here. And I think maybe there's somebody watching that needs to hear this. I don't know. But I'm just saying this morning. Whatever your situation is, you have to put it in God's hands. No, what the, no matter what the marital situation is, put it in God's hands. Trust Him first. Now I realize there, and this is the facts that I tried to get a hold of this week. Do you know, and I thought it was the opposite. Do you know that more men leave the marriage than women? Do you know more men apply for divorces than women? I thought it was the other way around. By about 26% more men leave, 26% more men file for divorces than women. I was like, wow. And I always thought it was the men that left and the women got the divorce. I thought that's how it worked. But that's, I guess not how it works. You see, I believe that the old message is so strange to the world to the worldly wise, that they can't seem to understand, they can't seem to grasp that the message of the cross is really the answer to the problems of sin. They can't grasp that concept because they're too busy trying to please the flesh, trying to please self. And when you try to please self, guess who you're leaving out? God. We're to do His will, not our own. But man it seems to get on this train and thinks that, that they have to be servicing themselves, that they have to do themselves. The simple can't miss it. The saved are usually the less wise in, in worldly evaluation. Why? Because we yield to the Holy Spirit. We yielded to the cross. I've had people tell me that throughout time. You know, I know you're a preacher. I know you, you love God, but you, know, you, need to, you need to lighten up on that stuff. You, know, you, 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 don't need to, you don't need to share it every time you're out. Sure I do. Time is short. The end is coming. 
and the trumpet blast is going to sound, and we're all going to be called up to be with him in the air. Well, guess who's not going to be there? Those who refuse to serve Jesus. Those who refuse to, to receive the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's a lot of people that... I'm having too much fun right now to call upon. I don't want to get saved yet. I want to, they want to ravel in their sin. Sometimes those who are worldly wise realize their foolishness. I'll be honest with you. In the midst of my foolishness of my younger days, that's how I found Christ. I realized when somebody spoke to me about Jesus coming, what would I do right at that point? It, a light turned on. And I'm like, Whoa, what would I do if Jesus came right then? Where would I go if Jesus came right then? I knew there was a God because of my grandmother. She made it clear to who God was. She was a Methodist. But I'm going to tell you what. She was not your average normal Methodist lady. The Methodist church back then is not like the Methodist church is today. It's a lot different. And grandmothers who went to the Methodist church, now I know what that flame on the cross is all about. They get hot quick. Didn't take much to upset grandmother if you talked against God. God had chosen the weak to confound the mighty, he says in verse 27. In every age, there are great works to be accomplished. God has chosen the weak to do his work. Remember, he, talked, he had a donkey talk. If he could use a donkey, I guess he could use me. Remember his choice of David. He chose David to be a king. A small shepherd boy who goes out and kills a mighty giant. He chose somebody small. He chose Joseph, a Hebrew child who was considered a stowaway, brought into the palace of the king. For what purpose? To save Israel. A baby. He chose Gideon. Gideon was a judge over Israel. Although the Bible describes him as a timid person, Gideon is known to be one of the greatest of all the 15 judges throughout Israel. When Gideon hears he will save the Israelite people from, their, from, from his oppressor, he doesn't really believe it at first. He sets God to the test. This right off the bat seems to con contradict the command not to put the Lord to the test in Deuteronomy 6.16. But Gideon always appears to be testing God. I don't test God. Because if he said it, I'm just going to do it. If he wrote it, I'm going to believe it. Because I don't want to contradict God. When you think about the American colonies and the mighty British Empire, how many of us remember our history? 
I don't know how much of your history you remember, but I'm going to tell you whatever you remember, you better hold on to it because it seems like the world doesn't like how it evolved and how history came about. And so they're endeavoring to change it every single day. They're wanting to take things out of your history books and put it with new stuff. Like it never happened. Exactly like the Bible. There's so many translations of the Bible today, it's unbelievable. To me, the most discouraging, the most blasphemous of all of them is the Queen Anne Bible. So, so who's that? Well, the Queen Anne Bible was written for homosexuality. Because there are some homosexuals that are going to churches, but they don't want to hear about homosexuality being blasphemous. Everything in it is about love and God likes you who you are. God loves all of us for who we are. There's no denying that. He loves you, but he hates the sin. And that's what people don't want to hear, that he hates the sin. People don't want to be reminded that the way they're living is wrong. So if I just take that part out of the Bible then it's not wrong anymore, is it? No. For him that knows what? Right and does wrong, it's sin. But people don't want to hear that today, Phil. People run away from the word of sin as far as they can. And they want to justify everything they can uh, to, to reflect good. But God has chosen the base, the despise, the things which are not, to bring not to the things that are, in verse 28, the base, the lowborn, the background of many great men used of God came from lowborn places. Billy Graham didn't have college education. And look how powerful God used him in the Word of God, dispensing it, sharing it all over the world, millions coming to Christ. And I can tell you other great preachers that didn't have college educations. Christ came as the lowborn in the manger, our Savior. He didn't come in some fancy palace with all these handmaidens around to help him grow and all these people of great knowledge to help teach him. He had the greatest teacher of all, his Father, God. The despised. How many know that God reaches into the gutter to save them who are at the bottom of the pit? I like when some people say, I, I'm, I'm so far at the bottom of the barrel when I look up, all I see is mud. You know you're at the bottom when you get to that point. Christ himself was despised and rejected of men. So how do we expect the world to treat us? With honor? Dignity and great respect? No. They don't want to hear about God. Satan's doing his best to keep God away from as many people as possible. He would rather you be sick and stuck at home with your mask on your face than you out sharing the word of God. Let's keep him scared. See, I think a lot of things now today is, is a scare tactic. Let's keep him off the street. 
the things which are not, the things which might as well not exist. God uses such things for his glory. God can use anything in any situation, no matter where you are, what you're doing. God can use you. All you have to do is allow him to use you. You have to be the willing vessel, the willing instrument to allow God to use. God's plan is to bring down the wise, the noble, and the mighty. Tied to the original fall of man. God's purpose is that no flesh should glory in itself. That all glory may be in Christ. I don't know about you, but when I love, when I worship and I'm alone by myself and I give a chance to talk to the Lord, I just love to sing his praises and sing glory to his name. I know I'm not the greatest singer, but I can be in the church singing glory to his name. Glory. And if, if people heard me, if they had a mic in there or something, they'd say, that boy took all his mama's money for a singing lesson. They need to give her a refund. I just love singing to Christ. I love singing to him. He makes, he makes me, he brings a joy into my spirit that no one else can bring. When I begin to sing his praises, I begin to sing his name. I begin to get happy. I begin to get full of joy. Matter of fact, sometimes I'm so full of joy, I have to be careful. I look down, I'm doing 95 on 95. And I realize the more happier I get, the heavier my foot must get. And I have to be careful. How many can say this morning, how many can say this morning, I am God's choice? I am God's choice. I am God's choice. You see, all of us this morning, should be able to say to ourselves, I am God's choice. Because God called me out of a pit of sin, a pit of lowly, disgusting sin, and he saved me. And he redeemed me through the precious blood that was shed on Calvary. He's redeemed me, and now I can worship him wholeheartedly with a clean heart, a happy spirit. And you can leave out of here with that big smile on your face, Knowing that you have met with your Savior this morning. Knowing that he has done something great in you today. But you know what? Think about this. God does something great in you every day. Because you're his child. Ooh, I see a few frowns this morning. Maybe we need to work this over again. Let's start off at the beginning. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and go to verse 26. I think some of them missed it this morning. Listen, Paul continues to emphasize that the way to receive salvation is so simple that any person who wants to can understand it. It's simple. Those who confess the Lord Jesus Christ with their heart shall be saved. If you can say that I Love Jesus so much that I, I understand he died for me. He rose on the third day. You can understand that just that little bit. You can understand a great deal. Because see, Jesus reveals it all to us. He reveals it all to us. 
God is the source of our relationship with Christ. The relationship is personal and living. Our union and identification with him result in having God as our Savior. That is, when I think of that, I just think about how awesome Christ is in our life and everything that he's doing for us. Are you God's choice this morning? I'm God's choice because I choose to serve him. He created me in my mother's womb before I was ever even thought of by my own parents. And when I was conceived, he began to mold me and make me. Tenderly and lovingly created. And when I was born, I was born into a sinful world with sinful desires, an ugly flesh. But there came a day that he redeemed me and he took my heart and he made it white as snow. He removed all the yuck and replaced it with love. You see, church, that's who God is. That's why you're God's choice. Because every good and perfect gift comes from God. So you're his choice. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you, Lord God, this morning that we are your choice. Lord, I'm so glad that you redeemed us from the foundation of the world. Lord, that you, you made us whole. You made us one to serve a king, a God who would send his only begotten son to die for us. God, I'm so thankful this morning that I'm your choice that you chose me to redeem me. Father, this morning I pray for each one here that if they feel this morning that they may not be God's choice, may you show them, Lord Jesus, this morning with unshaking faith that you are in fact the choice. Lord, we love you and we serve you with all that was in us. Lord, I pray today, help us to go in you. Help us to convey to the world that they are God's choice. That they would be saved and redeemed by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen.